Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of Reasonably Outrageous. I'm your co-host, as always, alongside Blake Pace. Blake, your Yankees are moving on to the Ooh. ALCS. I am sure you are riding high. How you doing, man? I'm good. Yeah, riding high. I stayed up late last night. Not as late as uh, my East Coast friends that watched the game, which probably went until about 12.45 for them. But uh, I was up till right around midnight watching that game. Um, definitely more interesting and a little bit closer than games one and two but uh but yeah great series for new york um we're not actually going to talk about the yankees at all today but you know just my my first impressions um you know some guys that came in a little bit of a slump got things rolling for him uh you know Didi gregorius had been really uh slow since august and he really picked things up and uh, gotten a good rhythm uh, in that series against Minnesota. He had been tearing them apart the entire regular season. So uh, seeing how he performs in Houston will kind of be a real test to how he's actually progressing. Glaber Torres, to me, uh, is slowly becoming. I, I think he's. I think I feel comfortable saying he's the best Yankee. Uh, I, th- I think I. I think he's better than Judge right now. The level he's been playing all season. Uh, he's been sound on defense. I, I feel like he's kind of been their best player, which feels weird to say because of how much everybody is in love with Judge and all the other players there. But I feel comfortable saying Torres is probably the team MVP this year, especially because of how he was available for the full season. And uh, and yeah, man, everybody everybody's grooving on that team. Uh, Severino got himself out of some tight jams last night. The bullpen was, was pretty good for the most part all around. Um, Chapman hurt his hand on a champagne bottle. Uh, last night, but he says he's fine, so I'm gonna take his word for it. So that was a little alarming to hear, but uh, but yeah, good series win. And uh, Matt, I want to ask you, wait, I want to ask you real quick, Blake. What is your thoughts on the twin, or sorry, the Yankees celebrating a three-game sweep in an ALDS? Do you think they should be allowed to celebrate, or is it too much that they were going champagne showers over a three-game sweep? I'm 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 cool with it. There, I I think what I like about the Yankees is they're they're just a one of those fun teams. I feel like, you know, for a lot of those guys, the fact that they're in this position, uh, you think about DJ LeMahieu, who didn't have a starting, um, he didn't have a spot on the field on opening day. Gio Urshela, Cameron Maiden, who hit a home run last night. A lot of those guys really weren't expected to be there. Um, I definitely understand the... Uh, the the notion of celebrating a three game sweep in the way that they did I mean they they had a party last night for sure but they've always just been a fun team this year whether it was the savages in the box and then they all wore uh, savage you know button ups with the on the Yankees logo they're, they're just a, they're just one of those fun teams right now um, it's kind of the you know the let the kids play motion uh in baseball um what were your thoughts on it i'm interested what you thought well the, that the reason i ask is because after the wild card games a lot of people came out and said oh you know the nats and the rays shouldn't have been celebrating like they did it was just a wild card win they really haven't done anything but you know they play 162 games yeah. in a season it's a marathon they deserve to let loose and celebrate i mean you know i don't think the people who are criticizing them in that way whether it be the alds sweep or the wild card game or whatever you know have a full grasp of what it takes to go through an entire major league season it's easy for you to say when you're sitting on yeah. the 
yeah. couch with a beer in your hand just watching them play. But, you know, these guys, you know, they, they make a business out of using their bodies for athletic competition. That is an insanely hard thing to do. So, yeah. uh, you know, I have no problem with it. Okay, good. I was just making sure. I wasn't sure what <laughs> side you were sitting on, why you had asked. But, yeah, I'm, I'm cool with it. I mean, they're, they're, they're just a fun team. You know, it, it's exciting. So uh, hopefully they can keep the ball rolling against uh, – well, I guess we don't know technically who yet, but we most assume uh, Houston, uh, unless Tampa Bay can pull off something amazing in the next couple of days. I would be pretty thrilled, not going to yeah, lie. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I think, honestly, the Rays, I mean, not the, I mean, obviously the Astros are a huge threat and, and probably the favorite to, to move into the World Series, but, you know, the Rays are a divisional opponent, and, and yeah. the Yankees did play Tampa Bay pretty well all season long, um, so there's something to be said for that, but, right. you know, uh, I say, I've said all the time, like, if you're a divisional opponent in the playoffs, you just know that team a lot better. Yeah. And the game changes a little bit. You don't exactly manage the the same way that you do in the regular season. Some things change, and you know the the, the Rays are one of the most savvy organizations in baseball. I wouldn't doubt that they'd have a tough series up against the Yankees too. So, oh, yeah. uh, obviously, um, you know we're not sure exactly what's going to happen there. And by the time people are listening, the Rays might already be out of it. Yeah, so, right. Oh, that's uh, a good point. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll have to see what happens tomorrow. But we're going to go ahead and talk about the NFL to get things started. We'll talk about MLB a little bit later, uh, but first we want to go into, uh, we're kind of getting to that point where people are starting to talk about trades and who, uh, which teams are, are, are out of it for the rest of the year, which teams are true contenders but have some fatal flaw. And, you know, in recent years, we've seen a lot bigger moves uh, than we might have seen five, ten years ago uh, being made across the league. You know, we had a guy like Amari Cooper being uh, moved last year, which ended up being uh, a huge boost uh, for the Cowboys and down the stretch. And we, we've seen plenty of moves. Eli Apple is another one on the defensive side was a big name, went over to the Saints, uh, helped out their secondary and ended up being a pretty big move for them as well. So plenty of moves uh, around the league that we have seen. And it's definitely, you know, we, we've seen a few so far this year. Jadavian Clowney was traded uh, to the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. We had Minka Fitzpatrick going over the Steelers. So we've already had a few in-season trades. And those are pretty big names too. So oh, yeah. I don't think that that's going to be the end of it. We're certainly going to see a few more uh, trades some players change teams before the deadline so we're going to make some predictions here a couple of uh, fake trades we put together for you all um, we're going to go back and forth we each come up with two so Blake how about you lead us off here what is your number one trade that you are looking to see down the stretch yeah this one is for a team in the AFC that um, has all the makings of, of pushing for a Super Bowl um, they're if not the best the second best team in the AFC right now and that's the Kansas City Chiefs and um, you know, there have been some names tossed out for trades for Kansas City, and, you know, people are taking a look at the back end of their defense. I know a guy that at least one of us is going to talk about uh, later today. I mean, you know, the all-pro corner Jalen Ramsey, who's dealing with quote-unquote back issues, um, not playing with the Jaguars right now. Uh, people have talked about him to the Chiefs, but uh, to me right now, Kansas City's hold isn't on the back end of its defense. It's right up in the front in that front seven. Uh, right now they're 30th or 31st in run defense. And um, the, the the jig is out on how to beat Patrick Mahomes, and it's to keep him off the field. The Colts ran, uh, you know, had the time of possession on Sunday night for practically 
40 minutes of the game. And uh, if you're Patrick Mahomes and you're trying to get on the field as much as you can and you've got a hobbled ankle, 20 minutes isn't enough to beat an NFL team. Um, I don't care how lopsided you know the advantage might be. And you think about some of the better teams in the AFC right now, they've got strong run offenses. I mean, Baltimore has a really powerful run offense with Lamar Jackson, a dual-threat quarterback. They went toe-to-toe for a while in Kansas City a couple weeks ago. Uh, the Colts, Marlon Mack, Naeem Hines, Jordan Wilkins, like I said, this past Sunday, you know, the, the unbelievable upset, uh, you know, um, they were able to keep Mahomes off the field for, for, 20, for 40 minutes of that game. Um, and then New England, and we've talked about New England and, and how they're still trying to figure out some things on offense. And, um, and I'll be talking about that in just a little bit. But, uh, you know, that's another team when they get going, they've got guys uh, in that running back group, James White. Uh, Rex Burkhead, Sony Michelle, who finally had a big game this past week. Uh, the Chiefs really don't have time to mess around up front when you think about those three teams and then maybe some others that could come into it. If if Tennessee ended up making a push, you know, Derrick Henry and their strong offensive line. Um, you know, Leonard Fournette occasionally is very strong up front too. If, if the Chiefs want to really put themselves in a position to outlast those other teams, um, they, they have all the, you know, the makings on offense for it as well. But you got to start looking at uh, getting some run help. And so I have a list of guys, and I have one in particular that I really want to happen. Uh, so I'm going to start with him. It's Geno Atkins, defensive tackle on the Bengals right now. Listen, the Bengals are in a position where they should just be selling off some of their older guys, uh, their older talented guys, to, to get some picks back in return as they're you know, one of the worst teams in the league. And Geno Atkins is uh, 31 years old right now. Um, still one of the better interior defensive linemen, and I think if you pair him next to Chris Jones, that's a great defensive tackle duo. Um, sure. And, and so, you know, you've got those two then, and then you've got on the outside, you've got guys like, um, you know, you traded for Frank Clark, who's who's okay on in the run defense. You've got Emmanuel Ogba and Alex Okafor on the left side of their defensive line. Um, so he's the main guy that I want to see. The other three names that I had out there, just to put them there, uh, two of them are defensive tackles. you got Leonard Williams with the Jets, Dalvin Tomlinson with the Giants. Of course, the Jets just drafted Quinnen Williams uh, this past year, and I, I don't think there's a need to have both of them in the middle. Um, and the same with the Giants. They drafted, uh, oh, what's his name out of Clemson? Dexter Lawrence. And, yep. and Dalvin Tomlinson does the same exact thing as him. So moving on from either of those guys. And if they are looking for a linebacker instead, I throw out Ryan Kerrigan with the Redskins just because they're another team that I think could try and look to uh, acclimate some picks um, and, and and might be able to ship Kerrigan out there for one. So uh, I, w- I would love to see Geno Atkins specifically head to the Chiefs to help them out. But uh, I think I think that's got to be the position to bring Kansas City back into the okay, we are the clear-cut number two favorite, close to New England Patriots, to representing the AFC in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, Atkins, a two-time All-Pro player. Uh, you know, a model of health, too. Really only had one season back in 2013. He missed seven games. But other than that, has been able to stay on the field, which is a pretty tough task just for defensive tackles in general. And like you said, you know, they make a couple of moves over the offseason, namely guys like Alex Okafor, Frank Clark, they bring in. And you'd like to think that they, you know, saw some progress some progress there. But at the same time, you know, I think at some point you have to be able to evaluate your roster and say, okay, even though we did make these moves, it's okay to go a little bit more, make a bigger push uh, mm-hmm. to solidify this position now that we We've had a couple of games under your belt. So it's a very mature move uh, if they were to invest more in the defensive line. Right. Uh, and I think I think that's an organization very much capable of that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right. So I'm going to stick on the defensive side of the ball, and I'm going to talk about that player you just mentioned, yeah. Jalen Ramsey. Now, 
Obviously, the Jaguars have taken a very hard stance. They, in fact, said, quote, they won't trade five first-round picks, uh, <laughs> or they won't trade Ramsey for five first-round picks. Um, they've been offered apparently two so far by several teams, yeah. um, but no, so, so far nobody has been interested. And I think part of that big reason uh, is that the Jaguars don't believe they can still contend, and they don't want to give up Ramsey because he's going to take a hit uh, on their ability to contend this season. So I think that they need to trade for somebody who they'd be able to slot in while also getting great value. And that, I believe, makes them a good match with the Rams. Marcus Peters, a 2021st, a 2024th, and a 2021 second for Jalen Ramsey and a 2025th. Okay, let me break that down I for like you. It. Marcus Marcus Peters has been abused the past few games. Uh, Mike Evans made him look absolutely ridiculous uh, yeah. in that shellacking uh, just two weeks ago. Uh, last week also gave up some big plays to Tyler Lockett on Thursday Night Football. Uh, really just hasn't been a good showing for him. He's really not a true number one wide receiver. Now, the Rams don't necessarily use him as one. They tend to bracket the number one receivers uh, because with their, their other members of their secondary. But by acquiring Jalen Ramsey... That would really give them the flexibility to be able to have more one-on-one situations, certainly something uh, that the Rams would love to have on their defensive side. Now, you, if you're the Jaguars, you're thinking, okay, this is certainly a step back, but you would be getting a 2021, a 2021st, a 2021 second as your main picks, uh, and then you're only stepping one round back, 2024th for a 2025th, uh, just taking one round back there. So I think that's good value in that the Rams uh, are able to get the number one uh, corner that they kind of desperately need while the Jaguars are still able to label themselves as contenders, certainly can win with Marcus Peters. He, in fact, was on a Super Bowl roster just last year. Uh, so, you know, certainly able to make some big plays. Uh, and then when put in the right situation, and I believe that the Jaguars do have uh, good players around Ramsey on that defensive secondary, that Peters would be able to be uh, accounted for, and they just have to take a bit more of a bracket approach when it comes to number one receivers. Yeah, I really like that. See, you're, you're taking one of my favorite players in the league and putting him on one of my favorite teams to watch. Um, <laughs> and so I, so I love that. I mean, Jalen Ramsey on the Rams, that's a huge change for their defense uh, and kind of the outlook. Because, I mean, you think about the Rams, they didn't have as easy of a cakewalk this year as they did last year with, you know, um, you know Seattle off to a really hot start. Russell Wilson playing the best season of his career. And then also the 49ers being one of the two undefeated teams left in the NFL. So... Um, if the Rams are, you know, feeling little pressure and they've got some divisional games coming up, uh, and of course, you know, this past week on Thursday night, losing to the Seahawks by, you know, what was a field goal that went one more foot uh, outside of the, the goalpost. But uh, if they're worried about falling behind in that division and still wanting to contend, they're going to need to make the push for it. And so they're, they're a team that's, that's going to be aggressive if they want to give up that draft capital to get, you know, when healthy, the best cornerback in the league or second best cornerback in the league, at least. Um, definitely, I, I see them pulling the trigger. And for the Jags, it's it's interesting because you're also kind of getting Marcus Peters when you haven't had Jalen Ramsey playing the last few weeks. Now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, ever since he got in, you know, that fighting match with Doug Marone, he hasn't been playing. And whether his back issues are true, whether if the the whole like paternity leave thing is real, I honestly have no idea what to make out of it. Um, but it's not like they're getting use of him on the field right now. And if he has no intentions of coming back, make the move. Get Marcus Peters. Even though he's older and, and not as talented, it's still a guy to have out there to be alongside, to be the number two to A.J. Bouye and still form you know a decent cornerback duo. So I, I like that trade both sides around. 
you know uh, that that phrase you just said uh if you're not gonna if he's not gonna play anyway you might as well trade him yeah. that kind of applies to a team over in the nation's capital uh which i believe yeah. segues to your second trade here Dude. or at least the team uh that you want to talk about yeah the the king of uh the king of uh segways matt wyrick right there uh, <laughs> that's right <laughs> trent williams trent williams man on on the washington redskins and and uh Man, he, he doesn't want to come back. I, I don't blame him. I wouldn't want to go to Washington if I was anywhere in the NFL. Make that a coach, a, a scout, a, a general manager, a player. Uh, the Redskins have the most dysfunctional league in the fran- or most dysfunctional team in the franchise. And so uh, for Trent Williams, um, and this kind of goes under a blanket. Um, this my, my next trade is ways to make. Uh, the New England Patriots surefire Super Bowl champions. Now, I don't think anybody expects them to not be at least in the AFC Championship game, if not the Super Bowl. They've definitely proved that they are uh, probably the best team in the league right now. They definitely have one of the best defenses, I think, of all time. I mean, they're on historic pace to rival the 85 Bears and the 2000 Ravens uh, with some of the numbers that they've been putting up. Um, so I'm not worried about their defense, but you look on the offensive side of things, their offensive line is is insanely banged up. Of course, they're missing their center. They're missing their left tackle, um, who is expected to come back in. But if you get a guy like Trent Williams, who is one of the best left tackles in football, uh, you could slide, uh, win into the guard position, put Williams out at the left tackle. And there you have a much stronger left side of your offensive line. And, you know, overall improvement to that group. Um, We've seen Brady hasn't, you know, Brady the past two weeks has kind of looked like Eli the last few years when he's got pressure put on him, which is weird to say, but he's he's just seeing pressure from nowhere and just falling to the ground because of it. And so uh, you want to keep Brady upright. You want to keep him healthy because even if he's not playing at the elite level he did a few years ago, he's still a very good quarterback. Uh, and and the leader of that team, so you need him out on the field. So he's one guy, and then the other guy I had looped in there as well with Trent Williams as a way to make sure the the Patriots are surefire Super Bowl champions. I'm going back to Cincinnati, and I'm taking A.J. Green as soon as he's healthy. Um, You know, one of the more athletic wide receivers, of course he is up there in that age range too, where I was saying that if if you're the the Bengals and you take a look at your roster, try and get some picks and unload on some of your your older guys, uh, especially when you have younger up-and-coming guys at the same position. Tyler Boyd is good. John Ross has shown flashes. I know he's on the IR right now. Um, but, you know, A.J. Green on the New England offense could be kind of close to what they were hoping out of Antonio Brown. Uh, you know, Josh Gordon has been an okay wide receiver one. It hasn't been great, but if, if you can give A.J. Green wide receiver one uh, you know, targets that will open up so much more for Gordon. It'll open up so much more for Edelman across the middle, James White out of the backfield. And, and those two moves, I'm not saying that both have to happen, but one or the other, I think, uh, will definitely go a long way in ensuring that New England gets to that, uh, you know, that seventh Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, it's a scary thought for other yeah. teams that the, they can get better, and, and it will kind of represent uh, resemble like when they acquired Antonio Brown mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, it was just seeing like, oh, great, now they're unstoppable. Right. There, there's nothing we can do. And, and they've come back, you know, dropping, uh, obviously, A.B., uh, because of everything that's been going on with him. Uh, but there's, they're still an incredible roster, and, and I would say you can't even say they're one player away from being Super Bowl champs. I mean, right now they're, they're, they're the surefire team, just how they are, and they've got a pretty easy schedule coming up, so they're certainly going to be undefeated for uh, at least the next three, four weeks. Um, so, you know, I, I think that it's overall something that they need to do. It reminds me of the Astros when they acquired Justin Verlander. I mean, at the time, they were already uh, the surefire 
favorites to win the World Series. But at that same time, you know, why not strengthen a strength, go for or, you know, one area where you're already good, but you could really improve. Why not go ahead and just solidify that area? Because you never know what injuries are going to happen down the line, who's going to struggle uh, at certain points of the season. It's better to have more talent than not. So even if you have to sacrifice a little bit of your future, if you think you're that close to winning a title, yeah. you got to go all in. Well, and with the Patriots, I mean, Bill Belichick doesn't really have that great of a history of picking in the early rounds. He seems to be better at finding undrafted free agents than he is selecting <laughs> yeah, guys honestly. in rounds one or two. So <laughs> might might be better for him as well. <laughs> all right, well... My team, my last uh, trade here that I want to talk about. I know I went a little bit specific here. I'm going trades and picks, um, but yeah. you know, I, I ha- like having fun with go- uh, going through uh, that a little bit and, and looking at the value. But I'm looking straight at Von Miller, uh, the big uh, defensive end for the Broncos slash outside linebacker. I see him uh, making a move over to the Ravens. Uh, the Ravens, who have remarkably been in the bottom quarter of the league uh, yeah. in uh, quarterback pressure so far this season. They're not picking up very many sacks. It's certainly been an area, although they have a very solid defense, something that uh, kind of an element that they've really been missing. And although Miller hasn't exactly you know, been a, a stellar pass rusher so far this year, his history in his career shows that he certainly is capable of being that kind of player. So I have the Ravens uh, trading three picks for the for Von Miller to the Broncos, a 2019 first, a 2019 fourth, and a 2020 second. Uh, both teams have a 3-4 defense, so we'd be able to see uh, Von Miller slide right in uh, to that role. They'd have to be moving a, a couple of guys around. Uh, Kenny Young uh, and Matt Judon would have to kind of you know a- adapt to some new roles, but certainly that that's something an upgrade that you'd be willing to make if you're the uh, front office of Baltimore and, and something where you know the offense has already been proven to be one of the best in football. Of course, they had an easier schedule to start out, and you know may- maybe some of those numbers might be inflated, but you're certainly comfortable with where that offense is at. I think uh, the defense, which has been the identity of this team for so long could just use uh, another big pass rusher because they, they've really lacked that element over the past couple of years. Yeah, and, and especially because those two teams also have recent trade history, of course, with Joe Flacco being sent over to of Denver. Um, they've, yep. they've got prior relationships within the past year. Um, you know, this one is interesting because, like you're saying, Baltimore Baltimore's defense in general, you know, secondary front seven, it all just hasn't been that great. Um, and they haven't really played that many great quarterbacks this year except for uh Patrick Mahomes I mean you know Mason Rudolph and then who's our other guy what's his name Del Delvin uh oh what's his name Hedges who's, oh uh Duck, duck. <laughs> his duck. nickname is Duck that's right so we're just gonna call him <laughs> Duck um but even then you know the the Ravens defense just has been really underwhelming and they did lose a ton of guys I mean you think about all the outside linebackers they lost you know one of the Cardinals they lost one of the Packers their defense really shuffled around entirely Tony Jefferson just tore his ACL he is going to miss the season um yeah I mean this would be a crazy trade uh personally I just feel like the Broncos I just with how bad everything is gone I feel like them trading Von Miller would just like send the franchise into a frenzy um, but if they get to a point where they evaluate and they go, look, we're paying this guy so much. Uh, he is on the, you know, not tail end of his career, but he's slowly approaching it. Let's try and get some capital and, and fill some other holes on this roster because no one's expecting the Broncos. I know they beat the uh, the Chargers this past weekend, but of course, without Bradley Chubb, they've got injuries on the offensive line. No one is expecting them 
uh, to really to really contend in an AFC West picture that has you know a three and two Raiders team, a, a four and one uh, Chiefs team. Um, but man, you know that that would certainly be interesting because uh, Baltimore does need to elevate itself to get into that tier of of the Chiefs and the Patriots if they want to make a push because recent play, I mean, they, they look great weeks one, two, uh, weeks three through five. It's been pretty underwhelming and, and it's on, it's been on the trend down. So they do need to pick me up. So that, that would be really exciting to see. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know, um, where John Elway stands in terms of, of, of taking a rebuild, but certainly, you know, a, a retool type situation is yeah. something that they could benefit from. You're looking at, I mean, the Raiders, like you said, are three and two right now. The Chargers certainly have had a disappointing season, uh, but they're still a game ahead of the Broncos. And certainly, talent wise, they're they're definitely a league above Denver. Uh, I just don't think that the Broncos have any shot of competing in this suddenly stacked division. Although I'm not I'm not ready to call the Raiders a contender just yet, but yeah. certainly a team that that looks like it could go eight and eight this year. I certainly could wouldn't be surprised to see them do that, uh, given how they've played so far this season. So. Uh, I don't think the Broncos are a team that could go eight and eight. And certainly, uh, you know, even if that's what your goal is, why is that your goal? You know, at this point, you know, why not try to have some higher draft picks, try to acquire right. more draft capital? Um, and I think it makes sense for the Ravens too, given that you you only have to give up one first round pick. I think uh, a lot of teams saw what happened uh, in that Raiders trade uh, and what kind of dumpster fire they were last year, and were really afraid, uh, or, or sorry, um, are afraid of what the the Bears gave up uh, and what oh, they're gotcha. looking like right now. Um, and, and where they're headed, given that you know they haven't been playing up to expectations this year, uh, they still haven't. You know the the Raiders still haven't used all of the picks they acquired from the Bears, including a first rounder next year. So I don't think teams are, are very keen on giving up back to back first round picks. Even if you know Cleo Mack was was twenty six at the time, and Von Miller is is four years older. But at the same time, you know uh, I just think that. You know, he, he's a good fit for this defense. And, and like we said, they really are lacking playmakers. And, and Von Miller, you know, just the name value alone tells you all you need to know about this guy. Mm-hmm. Certainly hasn't been playing to what we thought, we think that he's capable of. You know, I was talking about how him and Bradley Chubb uh, were going to combine for 30 sacks this year in our season preview. Yeah. Certainly that's not going to happen now that Chubb's out for the year. Um, but the slow start was certainly concerning uh, for both of them. But I, I really think that, you know, it, whether it be a change of scenery or, or just him getting back to him, his normal self, uh, I wouldn't be worried if I were acquiring Von Miller. Oh, yeah, no, I wouldn't be either. Especially, it, you're, you know, you're getting decent um, value at a position that you lost so many guys in the past season. And, and like I said before, if you want to be along the likes of New England and Kansas City, if you really want to be that clear-cut third team, you need some more impressive wins than barely beating the Steelers with their third-string quarterback. Uh, of course, you know, getting blown out by the Browns as well is not a good look after how bad they got humiliated last or two nights ago by the time you're listening to this on Monday Night Football. Uh, they definitely need to see some improvement on that defense, and Von Miller is definitely the place to go for it. Well, hope you all enjoyed those trades. I'm certainly hoping that we see a couple of that caliber this year. Uh, certainly, we've already seen a, a couple of big ones, but these some of these are real big blockbusters, and some that you mentioned, A.J. Green, Trent, uh, Trent Williams, certainly some big names there. Uh, even Geno Atkins is one that yeah. I think is a very savvy savvy move there. So, um, you know, I, I think that we're, we're in for a fun year. I think that with the age of analytics that we're in right now, the NFL is more willing than ever to make these kinds of trades. Right. Um, before, it was just such a big question mark. Uh, if you were to give up a first-round pick uh, mid-season, uh, you know, and, and then you, you 
uh, tail off, uh, you know, you're really screwing yourself. But now teams feel like they have a much better understanding of what their roster looks like and what uh, their expected win total is going to be. And, you know, I think they're a lot more comfortable to make these kind of moves. So I, I would be willing to guess. Here, Blake, let me ask you this. Yeah. Over under number of first round picks traded the rest of the season, would you do three and a half over and under? So it's it's we're entering week six, so we've got two more weeks until the trade deadline. Three and a half. I'm gonna go under. Uh, I think okay. I think we could be in that two to three range if some of these bigger gotcha. names get tossed. I, I'm interested to see what if they do end up moving because the Redskins even came out and said that they they don't want to trade any of their pieces away, even though. That's such a stupid uh, idea uh, for them. Well, the Redskins are just a, yeah. a dumpster fire. <laughs> but I mean, but the Bengals have to take a look. I mean, there's the the thing is, is that this is a year where the separation between one through thirty-two in the NFL is bigger than it usually is. You know, Miami is one of those teams. They acquired a first-round pick uh, for Mika Fitzpatrick. Uh, the Jets are so low right now. The you know you've got you could also loop in the Bengals with them and the Redskins. Those four right there are so bad uh, that it's all four of them. You know, one of them came out and said they're tanking. The other three are hiding it. But all four are in a position where they could be trying to just get rid, clear out the cap space with some of the you know guys that are aging on their roster and accumulate picks. Uh, but I say it's probably around the two or three range. I, I'm not sure which guys actually get moved. Uh, Ramsey, it really just comes down to how stern some of these franchises are going to be. Um, but I I think we could see moves from the bottom tier teams like the Bengals and, and, uh, and maybe even the Jets or the Giants, but I don't know. What are you going to go with three and a half over under? I'm going to take the over. Yeah. Uh, I just think that there are a lot of teams that are lock, feel like they're locks to be contenders with the, the starts that they've got right now. Uh, I, I feel like the Patriots and the Chiefs are two teams that would be willing to deal a first-round right. pick. I could see the Bills being a team uh, that really, you know, that, like honestly right now with the schedule that they have, they look like a lock for at least nine wins this season. And mm. certainly they're going to, I think, dude, look through their schedule. No, I yeah, mean, no, I agree absolute, with you. I have them, uh, my preseason prediction I think we both said nine and seven or at least I know I believe so I think I said nine they would be a team that I have oh I have mine I I yeah I had nine and seven for them I don't know about you um uh I had eight eight and and eight yeah gotcha see yeah I mean we both think they're good teams they got a cakewalk of a schedule they could be a team for AJ Green that would be interesting if they could go and get them instead Mm -hmm. that would be a good one I mean they they just released Zay Jones uh they really believe in that Duke Williams guy they just brought up from their practice squad um, seemed to be that he got a couple of targets uh, last week, and they think that he could play a big role. But yeah, there, there's definitely an opening in that passing game. Um, but mm-hmm. I think that you know several teams in the NFC as well. Uh, the Packers strike me as a team uh, that would be willing to pull the trigger. Um, you, you look at uh, up and down um, the NFC East. The Cowboys they seem like a flawed Ooh, roster. Eagles could be a team for Jalen Ramsey. They need help. They, that's in the been secondary. talked about. That's been talked about. They but need help. At, the, the thing is, is that has apparently been offered. The Eagles are one of the teams right. that has apparently offered two first-round picks, but Man. the Jaguars are balking. So I think that's why I think that the Rams are such a good fit, uh, which there you go. is another team, the Rams, uh, that I think would be willing to deal a first-rounder. So I think that uh, there's plenty of moves to be made. It's just time for some of those te- teams at the bottom of the standings mm-hmm. to really look at themselves uh, and evaluate what they're really going to be doing in 2019 because the, the, the future is bleak for several of them, and, and right. they need to, to grapple that uh, and, and have a fair assessment of what their roster really looks like. One final thing I want to touch on, like before we move on, mm-hmm. uh, I do I do also think that there's one other thing 
that needs to be moved, and that's the trade deadline itself. Huh. Uh, I'd love to see it in the second half of the season, week 10. Uh, I think that's a really good spot for it at that point. You know, you've been through half the year. You've, you've seen some of the injuries that you've had, you've been dealt throughout the season, uh, and that kind of gives teams, I think that it just makes it more exciting because there's going to be you know, more teams that know exactly where they are in the standings uh, and, and how you know what their future looks like for this season. Uh, I think maybe we might be seeing less first-rounders traded by that point in the season because, you know, who wants to trade for a guy for, you know, just five weeks in the year or whatever. Um, but at the same time, I think that, you know, it, it certainly would create for more drama uh, and more trades, and I'm all mm -hmm. for more trades in the NFL. Yeah, and I mean, they're mm -hmm. the only league that does it this early. You know, the NBA trade deadline yep. is after the All-Star break, um, or it's around, it's a couple weeks after, I believe. The MLB trade mm -hmm. deadline is uh, July 31st. Um, yep. which, yeah, so I, I agree that that week 10 frame would be nice to see. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things in the NFL with trades that confuse me. I don't get why they're, you know, not like the NBA and, you know, protect their picks. You know, why didn't Pittsburgh make their pick <laughs> top five protected? That doesn't make sense. Just do it. If you're well, gonna... it's better than baseball. Yeah. MLB, you can't trade picks. <laughs> yeah, that's which is true. The worst. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> I hate that. Yeah, it's weird. All right, but so that's not as bad. But but yeah, I agree. That would be cool moving it back a couple weeks just because it's so much more solidified at that point, even just two weeks after. If we're doing it in the middle of November instead of like the last day in October. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's going to do it uh, for our NFL segment. We're going to move on and talk about. Uh, some teams that aren't in the playoffs right now. Don't worry, we will talk about the playoffs in our next episode, yes. which will be right after the uh, NLDS series wrap up. Um, so we'll be able to do some exit interviews for teams that have lost and maybe look ahead uh, to the championship series in both leagues. So that will be fun. Uh, but for now, we're going to talk about some teams that aren't in the playoffs, namely teams that have fired, let go, or seen their managers retire. Uh, and we're looking at Seven, maybe eight teams right now uh, that appear to be contenders for that. The Cubs, the Angels, Padres, Mets, Giants, Royals, Pirates, and then perhaps the Phillies. They are still determining the future of Gabe Kapler. It's coming down to owner John Middleton's decision. He has been interviewing lots of people across the team. The fact that they still haven't made a decision is a little bit peculiar. Um, some people have started to call the team dysfunctional for not having made the move yet. Um, but they seem to be taking their time. They want to get it right. Um, and, you know, the playoffs are still going on right now. So I don't necessarily think there's any rush to make a move. But right. we'll see what they do probably in the coming days, perhaps even by the time you all listen to this podcast, it could be decided. So we'll see. Um, but I want to just run through some of the things that seem to be written on the wall uh, in terms of uh, managerial openings and, and talk about those fits real quick. Uh, the number one that seems just a lock that's guaranteed to happen, that's Joe Madden to the Angels. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of mutual interest there. Madden obviously worked with the Angels before, uh, knows uh, owner Artie Moreno very well. Uh, and in would be able to coach the number one player uh, in the world in Mike Trout. Plus, he has some land over in California as well. So certainly just a good fit all around. Yeah. Madden obviously didn't work out with the Cubs uh, due to differences with that front office, but that does not seem to be the problem uh, with the Angels brass right now, something that they seem very interested in doing. And Blake, honestly, I think it, it's a great fit. We talked about the Madden as possibly going to the Padres and the Mets yeah. uh, on past episodes, uh, and I think certainly he would be a good fit for them. Yeah. Uh, two, Madden on the Mets seems really fun. Uh, the Padres are a young core. It would be almost an identical situation that he had in Chicago when he stepped in after coming over from the Rays, um, in which, you know, it's a young team that hasn't yet reached, uh, you know, greatness. 
I think that this Angels team, it doesn't necessarily fit that mold, uh, but certainly they're a team that wants to win now, and I think that's appealing for Madden too, uh, mm-hmm. in that, you know, while they haven't been successful in the past, I expect a big offseason from the Angels. Right. I think that they're a top target for Garrett Cole I like it. Uh, this season, um, and, and Albert Pujols still has a year or two left hmm. on his deal, um, but, you know, they, they've gotten to the point where that contract is relatively manageable uh, in terms of years, so they don't have, they, you know, aren't locked up for the next half decade or whatever. Yeah, no, like we were saying, you know, we've talked about him to fits other places. I think at the time that was more so because we weren't really sure what was going to be the future of, of the, um, if the Angels position was going to be open this offseason. But of course, I think, I think Madden, uh, you know, and the Cubs not, um, you know, you know, acknowledging that they weren't going to be working together in 2020 kind of sped up the process for some of these other job openings. Uh, and kind of made the decision for early on managers, uh, early on in their tenures with teams to be let go because Madden was out on the market. And so, yeah, uh, you you put out a tweet, actually, and you were talking about, you were ranking the top uh, positions, and someone was, people were arguing with you why you had uh, the Angels at number one, and it's, it's you you have Mike Trout. You, you get, I mean, honestly, you you really don't have to overthink it no. at that point. I mean, I think the Cubs are up there too because they're established contenders, right? Uh, you know, and, and certainly a team with with guys like Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez, uh, Wilson Contreras, plenty of stars. You know, a, a team capable of, of making a run. But if we're talking about where Joe Madden can go, obviously yeah. Cubs are off the list. So the next best team. I really do think is the Angels. The Padres, a lot of people are saying, oh, well, how come you didn't pick the Padres? Well, you know, at the same time, they haven't made the playoffs. Right. I think it's honestly a lot harder uh, to take that team um, with a bunch of young guys who have never done it before and tell them, okay, we're going to make, you know, we're, we're making a run. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. I mean, obviously the Angels haven't been in the playoffs either, not since Trout's rookie season. Uh, but at the same time, they have plenty of veterans on that team, right. uh, and, and you know Albert Pujols has been there before. Uh, Mike Trout, like I said, best player in the world. Nobody on the Padres is even close to that caliber. Manny Machado is supposed to be their guy. He didn't. He had a down year last year, so you're going to have to get turn him around. That's going to be a huge emphasis for you. Mm-hmm. I really just think that the Angels is kind of like a seamless yeah. uh, transition almost. Yeah, and exactly. And for for Madden, like you know, all opportunities are great opportunities, but he's 65. Maybe he's looking for his next stop to be his last one. And if you're you're thinking about the Padres and it might take a, a, a little while to build them up into playoff contenders and then World Series contenders, uh, I would rather go in the situation where you've got Mike Trout. Like you said, they've got room to where maybe they can make a, a Garrett Cole signing. And then you could be the guy that helps Mike Trout get things done uh, and, you know, being that guy could be a great way to finish off your legacy as opposed to being the guy that built the Padres up close to World Series contenders and then, you know, whatever, they de- he decided to retire or they moved in a different direction. I think you give it one last shot, you know, at the age of 65 to make things work with the Angels and Mike Trout because getting him to the promised land is kind of one of the bigger stories in baseball that we're missing is seeing Mike Trout in the postseason. So if he's the guy that can get that done, that's a great way to, to finish out your, you know, MLB legacy. All right, and the next one, Blake, I want to ask you, because this kind of hits home for oh, you. Stop. How would you like to see Joe Girardi coaching the New York Mets? You know, it would sting. It, uh, it would sting a little. Um, 
uh, you know, I do. I I love Joe Girardi, um, and, and of course the Yankees chose to not bring him back. You know, two years ago, so I can't say as though like it, it's not like he's managing the Yankees and then just goes across the street to manage the the uh, Mets. You know, he was let go. He spent a couple years out of baseball, and now he's getting back into the swing of things. So uh, it'll definitely be weird. Uh, to see him, you know, with the Mets and and seeing him in Yankee Stadium, coaching on the other side for the New York Mets, uh, you know, during the Subway Series. So I'm definitely, it, it makes me just feel weird about the potential of it happening. But uh, listen, he's a great manager. He's experienced. He's been part of of winning teams. And for the Mets, um, they're in a position where they've got. You know, you know, they made a bunch of moves heading into this season. They have some up and coming players. Um, you know, any opportunity for Girardi, I want to see him back, uh, you know, in a dugout. Um, but I definitely will say him seeing him on the Mets will just be a kind of a weird feeling to me. Yeah, I definitely, I think it'd be funny. I mean, from my perspective, yeah. uh, just to see him go over to there. I do think it's a good fit, though. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's obviously brings a winning culture. And I think that's something that the Mets, uh, you know, really lack. And, you know, Brody Van Wagenen, the, the GM, who, who was a former agent, uh, before he came over, you know, he Mickey Calloway wasn't his guy. Uh, you know, he was already there when he got there, so it was kind of written writing on the wall that he was going to be fired at the end of the season. So now he gets to make a pick, and you know, given the fact that his players that he brought in didn't necessarily perform up to par, you know, he really needs to get a slam dunk hire uh, for a manager, somebody who can he can really trust uh, to carry out his vision for this team uh and you know you got to go with somebody with a lot of experience if you're going to do that so there's nobody better on the market uh arguably joe madden maybe um but you know joe girardi with the same age and wisdom i'd, I'd argue uh as as madden just maybe a, a little more stern of a person uh not necessarily known as a, a clubhouse gel guy um but you know what maybe that discipline is what that mets team needs yeah uh, and i think that it would be a very interesting experiment for sure uh if he were to go over to the mets now the now we're kind of getting into uh, a couple of other situations where maybe it's not necessarily uh, an ideal fit uh, or or not maybe uh, doesn't necessarily uh, a slam dunk hire but certainly something that's intriguing and I want to start with the Cubs uh, a name that's been tossed around not necessarily a guy who uh, is a lock to get the job Uh, they're certainly considering internal candidates but David Ross to the Cubs the former World Series champ with the team, now uh, made ESPN analyst. Uh, a lot of people have talked about how smart of a guy he is, mm-hmm. uh, including one dude, Aaron Boone, uh, yeah. who now, of course, is coaching your Yankees, was also an ESPN commentator. Uh, he has spoke highly of Ross in the past as well. Uh, I, I think that Ross, you know, being a catcher, that certainly lends itself to being a manager that happens uh, more often than any other position uh, in baseball because, you know, the catcher kind of has to call the game uh, and to a certain extent, um, you know, relaying the signs and everything like that. So I think that Ross, it would be interesting, um, but I think the biggest drawback that you have to talk about is, you know, he played with a lot of these guys right. who were on this team. You know, he was teammates with them. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the the writing about Ross right now is that, you know, he can be stern. He has no problem with uh, ponying up and, and being the hard-ass coach. Uh, but at the same time, when you have that personal relationship with some of these guys, it does make it harder. So I don't know if necessarily Ross is the best idea for the Cubs, but as far as, as baseball and, and leadership skills go, he's certainly a, a great candidate. 
Yeah, you, you mentioned Boone, who was an ESPN analyst as well. Uh, you also got to uh, <clears throat> talk about Alex Cora, who was also, you know, a, a briefly an ESPN analyst turned manager for the Red Sox. And, of course, he's two seasons in and won a World Series last season. Um, you know, it, it's it's interesting because you take a look at the one side of it where it might be tough to manage those relationships. But you have to think a lot of those players in that locker room will have a lot of respect for Ross because he was, you know, one of those big time vets, uh, you know, with that championship team before calling it a career. Um, he's a guy that probably will does, will just earn himself a lot of respect among those guys. Uh, but it will be interesting to see if he does have to get a little stern with some players or if maybe he makes some decisions in terms of the lineup or how he puts guys out in the field uh, to see how those personal relationships are able to, you know, sustain themselves throughout a year. But I certainly, I, I know we say it's not as, as slam dunk as the first two we talked about, but I'm, I, I'm interested in seeing it just because we know how well, um, we know how well the first two ESPN analysts turned uh, MLB managers have gone with Core and Boone. Now the Cubs, of course, missed the postseason this year, but are a very good team. They're right in the thick of things, and seeing how they can turn things around next year, uh, you know, you could hope maybe see some of the same success uh, with David Ross. You know, I, I agree with you, and I think that he certainly could have success. I just think that the Cubs aren't the best team, just because of, of those yeah. personal relationships. It, it's it's just kind of asking for for drama, in my opinion. Uh -huh. uh, and I don't think I think after the whole Joe Madden episode that they've had over the past year, not that Joe Madden was a magnet for drama by any means, but you know he, he was uh, sometimes not afraid to say what was on his mind to the media. Uh, and certainly, we heard lots of things trickling in and out of that clubhouse throughout the year. I don't think that's something that the Cubs want uh, moving forward. And if, if they think that David Ross is going to be a distraction in any way, I don't think that they're going to want to pull the trigger. Mm -hmm. And like I said, his credentials lend him, you know, definitely are in his favor. He doesn't seem like the type to do that. Right. Um, but I could see the Cubs just be, being scared at the idea of it. So that's my only reservation uh -huh. do you, as of right now. Do you think that – has, has it come out? I, I don't know, honestly. Has he been um... – being looked at for other positions or is it just the Cubs right now and, and kind of just because of their relationship? Um, I think the Cubs are the only team that I have seen. Right. I haven't seen, um, I don't think I've seen it. I know, um, just kind of off topic, but Joe Girardi, uh, was on a broadcast, uh, about the Mets, uh, or, or it might not have even been about the Mets. Um, but it, somebody asked him, uh, in, on the broadcast, so who are you going to be playing uh, batting second for the Mets next season? Oh and he was God. like, oh, you know, I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. Um, so <laughs> that that has been tossed around already. I love it. Um, but I haven't heard anything like that in, in terms of Ross hmm. uh, to, aside from the Cubs. So right. uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that because the, the team knows him so well, right. that's probably why that's he's why. being considered. Um, but at the same time, I think he would make a good candidate for other teams. Right. Maybe just not this year. Maybe some openings down the road a year or two from now. Sure, sure. And we yeah. see, you know, somebody come in and, and we'll see how they do, uh, certainly. And then they've talked about uh, a lot about how they're, they really like the internal candidates. Now, I don't know who they are, uh, but apparently there are people within the Cubs organization that uh, have done their work, done their due, and, and deserve a promotion. So that uh -huh. might be something that we see as well uh, from the Cubs. Certainly would be the cost-effective thing, and that's something that the Cubs love to do, is be cost-effective. 
Um, so we'll see if that's uh, the route that they decide to take. Now, uh, another another organization that's looking for a head coach you mentioned is the Padres. And there's a guy uh, who's currently coaching the Braves who I think screams Padres. Uh, I just don't know if they're going to be willing to look past his past, his checkered history that mm-hmm. he has. Uh, and that's Ron Washington, uh, the former manager of the Texas Rangers. Now, he was involved uh, in a couple of scandals, one uh, involving cocaine use and another uh, when he cheated on his wife and promptly resigned from the team in order to sort out uh, the differences. So he has had some problems, certainly in the past, and now uh, I think might be content with taking a backseat like he has with the Braves coaching the infielders. Uh, But at the same time, he's considered a guy who's a great gel coach, somebody who really, uh, you know, is a guy who can get the team to run through a wall for him. Uh, And I think that's exactly what the Padres need is somebody to bring that that team together and believe uh, in a a common goal and, and work together toward it. I think that, you know, They've got a lot of young guys. They've got a couple of dudes brought in on big deals. Uh, and it, it's just kind of a, a big you know, group of young kids who've never done this before. They need some direction. And I think Ron Washington is exactly the type of guy who could do that for him. So I think he'd be a really good fit if the Padres want him and if he decides he wants to take another head coaching role. Right. And I've been taking a look just, you know, um, recent pieces that have come out and they've been doing quote due diligence on Ron Washington. So mm-hmm. of course this is a, a bringing him into a position given the checkered pass is something that you have to uh, really put a lot of time in to make sure that that this is the right move for the franchise because things could get ugly if there was another incident like that. Uh, you know, allowing uh, uh, you know someone like that to be a repeat offender uh, if he was given a new opportunity. But if he's a guy that uh, that can do what you're saying and bring this team together for that one common goal, of course, as they're all trying to build upon their bright young careers mixed in with a few vets like Manny Machado. Um, that will certainly uh, be an interesting one to monitor, of course, when the when the Brave season comes to an end, whether that's uh, in this series with the Cardinals that we'll see in the next few days, depending on how far they end up going. Um, definitely one that they will have to take a lot of patience with and making sure that they have, uh, you know, dotted all their I's and crossed all their T's. The other thing that's interesting is uh, is Manny Machado uh, pushing for Buck Showalter. I wonder what your uh, what your thoughts are on that, bringing Buck from uh, Baltimore uh, over to the Padres now that Manny's over there. Well, personally, I'm not a huge fan of Buck Showalter just because of some comments he's made about the Nats in the past. He's oh, certainly okay. taken his digs at the team and the organization uh, multiple times. So, just you know, yeah. as, as a fan, as right. a fan, I'm not a huge uh, a huge guy for him, um, but. Uh, I do think overall he is a good manager. He's unfortunately remembered for that uh, decision not to put Zach Britton in the yeah. AL wildcard game. What was that, two years ago? Yep. Three years ago three, at this point? Yeah. Uh, three? Should yeah. be three. The Orioles been bad for yeah, a while. Now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I I do think that he gets another shot as a manager. I think that the Padres are a team, uh, that could be a a good fit. Um, but at the same time, I think that there is another club that, uh, has, has already, uh, rumored, uh, that he's interested in, and that is the Phillies, a team that has not yet decided, Mm -hmm. like we mentioned, whether or not Gabe Kapler will be part of its future, but apparently show Walter who, uh, has lived on the East coast, obviously for a long time. Uh, I think that he would like to do so, uh, remain so, uh, and the Phillies therefore, which isn't too far from Baltimore. I'm not really sure where he resides full time now that he's, you know, been out of the job, but, um, I know he's an East coast guy and the Phillies wouldn't be all that far. So, 
I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, he's a guy who, who stepped into an Orioles organization that was dysfunctional for so long and, and made it into a winning franchise. I certainly think that, you know, that's kind of how the, the track that the Phillies have been on, uh, just this odd rebuild that they've had where they really, you know, went all in on the rebuild but came back with little to show for it. They need a, a strong manager, uh, somebody who's going to be able to, to take you know Bryce Harper's uh, personality and, and make a winning team out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, Show Walter obviously managed Machado for a long time, and he certainly had his bumps and bruises along the way. But uh, Show Walter was ultimately able to rein him in enough where the Orioles made you know some some good playoff runs. Um, you know, throughout their time as contenders. So I, I think that he'd be a good fit for the Phillies, just given the location uh, and where the, the state of the franchise is. Yeah, and certainly think about Philadelphia and, and their kind of range of, of vets on big contracts, their young guys that they've got up and coming, uh, managing a locker room like that. And, and, you know, kind of like what you were saying with the Padres, getting that one focus goal in there. Um, you know, we don't want to see another, po- uh, you know, another bad season in Philadelphia because, uh, you know, not even just cap structure, but you talk about the players' emotions that'll go into that if they do fall short again next year. Um, so bringing in a guy that has a ton of experience managing through, you know, good and bad teams, um, I, you know, I feel like that would be a good fit to kind of find the consistency between that locker room uh, and, and really get them into a place where they can contend in a in a very competitive division. You know, he spent his time, uh, you know, in Baltimore working along the likes of, of the Yankees and the Red Sox. Now, if he were to go there, we know how good the Braves are. We know how good the Nats are. Uh, so that would be a very uh, interesting spot for him. Of course, the Mets as well. So he'd be right back in another very difficult uh, division uh, trying to fight things out. Yeah, well, uh, I think that if anybody is is willing to you know step up to the challenge, it's Buck yeah. Walter. He's oh, yeah. a pretty tough guy, so I certainly uh, wouldn't put it past him. I think he just misses the game. I mean, most of these people do uh, when they get out. Of, you know, I don't think Show Walter wanted to leave the Orioles. Uh, just kind of you know how that situation played out uh, was pretty unfortunate for them. Um, but overall, I, I do think that that would be a great fit, uh, particularly uh, managing Harper's personality. Not that he seems to be a problem in any way, but just having the spotlight on somebody, uh, you know, that much takes takes some kind of you know managing, and you have to uh, you know in press conferences and things like that, mm-hmm. you really have to you know be able to control those situations. And I think if anyone's equipped to do it, it's Showalter. Uh, all right, so the last uh, pick that I wanted to talk about real quick here uh, is. Ron Wotus, uh, who is the third coach, third base coach of the Giants. He was the bench coach from 1999 uh, to 2017. He uh, is a reportedly a candidate for the Giants head coaching job, somebody who's been with the organization for a long time. Uh, I know he, he hasn't really necessarily been a headlines guy. Uh, the last time that they were in the World Series, uh, they were talking about him uh, as possibly being um, – there were a lot of features on him and then the impact he'd had uh, alongside Buck, um, excuse me, Bruce Bochy uh, for that team. But I think that the one thing that this team really values is longevity. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look oh, yeah. at the, the Giants organization, we talked about this earlier, uh, Blake, you mentioned it. But since 1993, the Giants have only had three managers. <laughs> Dusty Baker, Felipe Alou, and Bruce Bochy. Uh, Felipe Alou was a four-year stint, uh, which he, first year, uh, they won 100 games, then they won 91 the year before that, and then they had back-to-back losing seasons and ultimately ended up going toward Bochy. Uh, but overall, you know, they've had really long stretches. They had Dusty for nine years. They had Bochy for 12. Uh, so certainly, um, you know, they have Wotus, who's a, a bit older, but I think that the fact that he's been with the organization for a long time and understands how it works, uh, certainly uh, I think this Giants team is still 
trying to lose. I think they're still trying to have a rebuild. Uh, you know, ultimately, Farhan Zaidi, uh, president of, of baseball operations there, kind of had to, to deal with the fact that the team was a contender at the trade deadline, not trade uh, Madison Bumgarner like he probably really wanted to, mm-hmm. uh, knowing him, uh, because fans would have just been so upset uh, that they didn't go for it. And ultimately, of course, they don't make the playoffs. But uh, I do think that was the right move, just for the record. But yeah. uh, overall, you know, uh, I, I think that somebody who understands how this organization works has the respect for the organization, like a lot of these people do. Uh, obviously, they have such a winning culture there. Uh, this decade, you argue they are probably the most successful team uh, of the 2010s. Um, I don't think that you could really, you know, I think the, the Cardinals and the Red Sox are two other teams who uh, could be in that conversation. The Dodgers, but they haven't won a World Series, so maybe that changes uh, this year. But uh, I'd, I'd say it, without a doubt that the fact that the Giants won three World Series in this decade certainly makes them uh, the most successful team. And who was there for all of it? None other than, the, than Ron Lotus. Right, exactly. And, and you know, for that sustainability, if they are trying to go through a, a slump where they are you know, trying to maybe rebuild or retool uh, maybe a few losing seasons in there to kind of get back and kind of hit the reset button. Um, you know, if there's a guy that you can promote within that understands the direction and understands the growing pains that they're going to experience, I think that's a little bit more, um, that's a, a guy in-house is maybe a little more willing to do that than bringing in another guy uh, and telling him, all right, we're giving you a shot here, but you know, for your first three years, things aren't going to be that pretty. And then, you know, we'll slowly build up on that, especially if it's a younger guy who is trying to really make a name for himself in his first job. And then you have to go through three mess seasons, uh, getting a guy in there that, you know, 58 years old, um, you know, of course, you know, baseball managers can, can, can be there for a while. Um, Mm -hmm. they can go late into their, their, their lives, but, uh, you know, a, a guy that's already there, that's familiar with the players, uh, that's familiar with the understanding that the direction might be going south for a little before it picks back up, I think is easier to convince than to bring in a new guy and also get the mind around, okay, we're going to suck for a little, and then we're going to slowly build up. I, I, I think that would be the right move for the Giants. He's also just a guy who's, you know, put in the work over the years. Right. Somebody uh, reminds me of Vic Fangio, you know, somebody yeah. who, who's just been a constant oh, in the no. league for so long but never had that head coaching opportunity. Um, so, you know, finally gets his shot, and I think right. Lotus is a guy uh, like that who certainly deserves uh, to be in at least consideration for the job. So yeah. the only two teams now that we did not mention here were the Royals and the Pirates. Now, the Royals are going through yeah. ownership change, uh, and I don't expect them to make a decision uh, until the new owners do come in. Uh, and so we're probably going to have to hold off uh, on them making a decision for now. And the other team's the Pirates. Uh, which is, you know, like we've mentioned before, uh, the most dysfunctional franchise in the majors. Um, I really don't know what direction they're trying to go right now. So right. trying to make some kind of prediction uh, to me, uh, it just seems foolish. So we're going to hold off on those two teams for now. But yeah. I think as of right now, we're looking at at least the, the what we see uh, seems to be David Ross to the Cubs, Joe Madden to the Angels, Ron Washington to the Padres, Joe Girardi to the Mets, Ron Wotus to the Giants, and if the job opens up, Buck Showalter to the Phillies. Of course, Blake, you mentioned Showalter as a possibility for the Padres as well, not canceling that out. And of course, uh, Girardi, uh, if he decides to go to the Padres, it's certainly hmm. something that uh, he might be interested in as well if he decides he wants to take a young core again. Now, I don't know if he wants to do that, but right. uh, I do think that's certainly a possibility. Now, I was going to ask you, um, but then I remembered that you said that the, the Pirates are the most dysfunctional uh, franchise in Major League Baseball, but I, I was going to ask you who you would rather manage, the Royals or the Pirates. I'm assuming it's the Royals. 
I mean, it's tough. It's tough, right? It, it is tough. <laughs> I mean, the the Royals are in a full blown rebuild right now. They are a fun team. They steal a lot of bases. Yeah. Uh, you know, have a lot of young guys uh, who who make you at least partially excited for the future. You know, you have guys like in the rotation, like Jacob Junis and uh, was it Brad Keller? Um, you know, two two young guys who certainly showed some flashes of potential this year. Uh, so you know, you're looking at uh, another two years of being bad before they really are back in contention, which is just so sad for that fan base that finally got a taste of what it was like to be World Series contenders back to back years, and all of a sudden they just completely fall off a cliff. So. You know, I think that was terrible uh, managing in terms of the front office uh, down the stretch. And, and Ned Yost, who I honestly don't think is a fantastic manager, but certainly a guy that was very much well-respected in that organization, uh, they, they kind of did him dirty uh, throughout the end of the year mm-hmm. uh, and just kind of waited for him to, to move out. So I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, of the Royals either, but they have a new ownership group, so maybe they take a more active approach yeah. in trying to win. I really just don't know. It's kind of, uh, you know, both teams are, are just a big question mark at this point as to where excuse me where they're going uh in the next two to three years yeah i certainly agree i mean it's it's too it's like picking the worst the the least worse of the two and and so so you you would have to hope if kansas city you know the new ownership they're they're you know taking things differently in a new approach and fast approach there's a there's at least hope right yeah there's there's not i I can't (laughs) say there's any yeah i agree with you there all right, well, that's going to uh, do it for our episode. Man. We're just under an hour Look right now. Us. We're killing it. We're we killing really it. are. Well, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, also Spotify and Google Music. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter, where I am at Matt Wyrick FBB, or right for Federal Baseball. You can check out all my Nationals content as we move throughout the playoffs. Hopefully the Nats have a bit of a deeper run. Uh, you can also check out Blake Pace, at Blake Andrew Pace, where he writes uh, for the Colts blog, Stampede Blue, as well as the Syracuse blog, Troy Nunez, is an absolute magician. Oh, I'm so I proud of you. this time. I'm Dude, so proud it of took you. Me, it only took me like 30 episodes, but I've heard 20 <laughs> episodes, however many we're at right now. Yeah. Uh, I think we're 30 now. So We're in the uh, 30s, yeah. Yeah, so sorry it took me that long, but I finally got it, so be proud of me. Um, Blake? Uh, always a pleasure. Any yeah. final words for the good people? No, it's a, it, you know, I, I always say it when you ask me this. It's an exciting time. I love the month of October for, for sports. Uh, you know, We were texting before. We're going to start getting into our NBA coverage as the season gets closer. Um, oh, yeah. You know, there's a lot going on right now. Did you see the Lakers uh, tweet out, you know, the league has been put on notice after they won a preseason game? Oh god. And and so of course they did. And so the the Bucks won a preseason game and they trolled the Lakers by saying this was a preseason game too. <laughs> <laughs> so I love it. I so love the it. NBA and is getting petty and it's it hasn't even started it's yet. It's always been petty, man. It's yeah. always been petty, let's be real. And hey, Kevin Durant was also petty. Oh my god. The Knicks. <laughs> How do you feel about uh, that? Like I get it. He's not wrong, but at the same time there was a 19-year-old kid that got drafted this year and like couldn't believe that he was a New York Knicks. So like if if people don't think it's cool, like RJ Barrett was like stunned. He was like, "Damn, I'm really a Nick." Like he's a 19-year-old kid. I'm 22 and I've never seen the Knicks be good. So if a 19-year-old's excited about it, I don't think they're like born I, I don't know. I'm just salty about Kevin Durant. <laughs> I probably will be for the rest of my life, but uh but yeah, I, his he's back on Twitter now. I don't like it. He's replying to random ass, you know, like uh, Twitter handles. That's true to form. Oh, it's so annoying. <laughs> he just needs to get back on his burners. All right. Well, 
hopefully the the Knicks have yeah. a, a bit of a bounce back season <laughs> and, and prove prove the doubters wrong oh, and yeah. Kevin Durant as well. We'll see what happens. But all right, everybody, thank you all so much for for listening. For Blake Pace, I'm Matt Wyrick. You are listening to Reasonably Outrageous. We will catch you next time. <laughs>